0: who makes you uncomfortable? Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. Today we have Sarah Hagerty back on, who you might remember from an episode we did a long time ago on her book Unseen. Today we've got one with her new book called A Door a simple practice for experiencing God in the middle minutes of your day. Just a little note that the audio does get a little bit glitchy at times. We were having some internet issues. So if you have a little bit of mercy for us on that end, I think we're able to do a pretty good job cleaning it up. But it's not your phone. It's our fault. We're professionals, I promise. You will notice that Blaine is not a part of this episode. He had a doctor's appointment that he couldn't miss. And so, you know, timing is what it is, but... But it was an awesome conversation with Sarah, got to dive into the practice of adoration and really the narrative that's going on under the surface that we have about God and about what he thinks of us and who we really believe he is. And so uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. Sarah, welcome back to the Ensigns podcast. It's awesome to have you back on the show.
1: Oh, I love your show. I'm so pumped to be on.
0: Well, we've referenced our last conversation several times, uh, your book, Unseen, and even after the fact, it came up, I feel like in multiple episodes. So mm. just really appreciated that That's particular cool. piece. <laughs> yeah, it was so ah, just right on to my experience and so many experiences of young men I know, just that life feels like it should look like an Instagram highlight reel and mm. doesn't. And so then all of the doubts get in. So yeah. we were really stoked when we got the word that a door was in the works, you know it was actually releasing on my birthday. So thank you oh, for that. My
1: God. That's awesome.
0: I've got several pieces in here that I've highlighted and want to dive into. But before we go in there, talk to me about Adore and where this came from, because it's similar train in terms of what we do with the middle minutes and those spaces of the day that don't feel so glamorous. But it's also very different, this book.
1: Yeah. I'm realizing more and more as I write that my growth really happens slowly. And so books tend to come out of a long time of living it. Which isn't my MO. I like to grow fast. Who doesn't? Right. But Mm -hmm. really, it was like nine or 10 years ago that I had a conversation with a friend. We were just having coffee and catching up. And I was struggling with infertility and kind of in a harder place in my life. But it wasn't like the hard that's kind of in your face, it was just sort of the drip in the background. And I think she picked up on that. And what she was really reading from me was probably a lot of cynicism and how I talked and negativity. And at the end of the conversation, she was like, Hey, have you considered adoration? And she was older and discerning, and you know, I'm like adoration, huh? Thinking back, I remember this like acronym I learned right after I became a believer. A C T S
0: yeah. stood for
1: Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, supplication. You can totally laugh. Cause you know what? It might totally be my generation that knew that, but there's gonna uh, be some I
0: people love out it. there
1: who remember uh, that.
0: Right. I love it.
1: <laughs> it was like our formula for prayer. So I was like, sure.
0: And therefore everybody's doing it if a formula has happened.
1: For I me. know that's what this Christianity thing is about, yeah, right? For <laughs> so, sure. I was like, yeah, I've done adoration. I think I've checked that box, but like really had no idea what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, it's actually like putting the word of God in your mouth and speaking it back to him. And I think probably I was more uncomfortable with the fact that she discerned I was pretty cynical and Mm -hmm. hadn't really allowed certain areas of my heart to have his touch. And so I took the challenge and I had a book that was helpful and gave me certain characteristics of God by which to adore. But really, I just moved on to the Psalms and started to like dive into the Psalms with the intention of adoring God through the Psalms and realized, hey, there's a lot of these verses that I don't really believe. And I don't mean like big B believe. Of course, I believe them. But like when I get quiet before God, you know what? I don't actually act like you're my provider Mm. or that you protect me or that you rescue me.
0: We don't like admitting that, Sarah.
1: I know. I mean, really, like, who wants to even admit it to themselves? Like, we don't want to admit it to other people. But like, my bigger struggle is like, oh, do I really want to admit to myself that like I don't believe that you are what your word says you are? Mm. So that was kind of the beginning of it.
0: Mm. Uh, That's so good when you reference the analogy of the dripping of difficulty. Yeah, that really struck me as being true. There's this attrition of like the low-level things that we assume aren't having an effect on us and therefore aren't big or particularly damaging and therefore don't justify a lot of close-looking. But like a lot of life feels like the dripping. You wrote in here, we all share the universal ache of wanting a wildly alive life in God and the challenge of reconciling it with hours spent doing the laundry, caring for a sick parent, and filing our taxes. Like, yeah. Right, like we should have this problem around here where we show clips of like the epic moments where Maximus is taking off his helmet in the arena and he's telling his enemy, (laughs) this is who I am. And I'm watching that going, when I tell the IRS, I am Sam Eldridge and I don't know where my W-2 is. It's not quite as epic. It is that slow dripping. Yeah. Ugh.
1: I like picture it like a pie. If I were to actually segment out my life, I think probably 10% is that moment, that radical, wildly alive, I'm stepping into who I am and I'm bringing forth the kingdom of God in my life moment. I think the other 90% is what I call the middle minutes. I mean, it is the sauteing onions and walking to the mailbox and walking my dog and changing my kid's diaper and teaching another child how to write their letters. Like, in my mind, if I really go, okay, I want a radically alive life in God, but really only twice in my life, am I going to fly across the ocean to adopt children from Africa? Okay. So what's the rest?
0: Yep. That's actually the next piece of yours that we have like a big star around. You wrote, I once saw radical as selling everything I owned or starting a ministry or adopting children from across the ocean. These days I'm redefining radical. I'm realizing that radical is sustained worship of God against the grain of the world's distractions. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's huge.
1: And how many of us can say that we can do that? I think that's where adoration has come in for me is like, I know where I want to be, which is I want what Paul suggests, pray without ceasing. Like Mm. I'm past the point of going, that's just crocheted on my grandma's wall. Like I actually really want that. Mm. But the reality is I don't pray without ceasing. So like, how do I get there? Like, really, what's the barrier to me a hundred times in a day? And I don't mean that to exaggerate. Like, really, what is the barrier to me a hundred times in a day saying, I need you, God?
0: I'm thinking of just how much the word matters for me. Like, I I hear the word adoration. There's some part of me that cringes. There's some part of me that goes like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm failing at that. But I hear the word adore and something in me actually feels like the window just got cracked open. And so I don't know why that's, that, that's distinct. I'm, I'm curious personally is like, oh, well, I'm, I'm okay with adoring things, but adoration I know is meant to be about God and I'm pretty sure I'm not doing yeah. that well, which is why I asked the question about the radical because like, oh, like we, we want, I want life to feel more like those high moments where people are cheering us on and going, yes, you're doing it. You're doing like the craziest thing in the world. And you're like,
1: yeah, you're right. I am. Uh-huh. Thank
0: you. And then you go back to chopping onions. Right.
1: I remember being at the grocery store once, and I, so four of our seven kids are adopted, and hmm. they are from Africa. So it's pretty clear, you know, a good portion of our story people can just see when they see us in the grocery store. And I remember when my kids were younger, somebody being like, wow. That's so radical that you did that. And there's multiple reasons why comments like that can be difficult, but
0: hmm. one
1: of them is right when she said it and I'm like putting onions on the conveyor belt going like, "You have no idea. It's actually harder for me to follow God like 30 minutes from now when I get home and unpack my groceries than it was for me to have this wild ride adopting these four children." Hmm. And I don't mean in terms of actually like living with them day to day and bringing them into my home. I mean like man, we had a crowd celebrating us when we went across the ocean to bring these kids home. Like we had adrenaline and we had like words from God, but like, I don't have that when I'm unpacking my groceries. And if I say I want to be radical, I can recognize I want that and it's really hard to get. And so where's the gap?
0: Yeah, no, that's huge. Later on, you talk about the hardest thing for you might actually be to scoot closer to your understanding of who he is and who you are. you talk about moments of like extreme tension or where we would tend to move towards something else, move towards something that might be comfort, easing off the pain. Then you write, I find truth when I sing, when I adore him and from his word. How often are you able to turn towards singing and adoring in moments of old patterns where you get in an argument or you have a hard phone call. Is that something that's come with practice?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I would say 10 years into it, there is some real muscle memory that's been developed. So like recently in the past few weeks, we've had something really hard happen with a family member and it was more my nature to go to adoration, like to go in the bedroom and close the door and open my Bible and have the honest conversation with God where I'm going, I'm angry and I'm hurt and this feels wrong and it doesn't feel just. And I don't think you're going to come through to have that conversation and then open my Bible and go, Psalm 18 says that you're the rescuer. God, I adore you as the rescuer. (laughs) Like it felt like I had developed enough muscle memory that like I even had the thought to go and do that. But I will say along the way, it's almost been like swimming upstream to start practicing adoration because there's kind of two things opposing us. One is that we just don't want to do discipline for discipline's sake. Like I think enough of us realize that like discipline isn't going to get me closer to God. And we hear something like adoration and it falls in the category of like, shoot something I'm not doing well. I might as well not try. Mm. But I think the other thing is we just have a ton of escapes available to us at any minute. Like, I can pick up my phone at any hard minute and get lost in somebody else's world or to read something online. That's going to probably not grow me, but get me distracted.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: One of the keys for adoration and actually like starting the habit is paying attention to like the cues in our life that are telling us something is off and recognizing that the escapes that are available to us are not enough. Like for me as a mom, you know, and I recognize you're not, you don't have a lot of mom listeners, but you do have some. Uh, Yeah, you might be surprised. (laughs) 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 So mom or dad, because I can translate this to my husband and like your kids are irritating you. And so you look back on a week and you go, you know, I was angry more than I was like actually enjoying them. And so if I pay attention, I go, there's something underneath that. And I don't want that to keep growing so that my kid then becomes 13 or 14 and their biggest memory of mom or dad was that they were annoyed with them. Hmm. And so I want to pause here and I want to pay attention to what's going on inside of me. And I want to have a chance for that to get transformed. And so adoration is really the doorway to talking to God from those places.
0: Oh, it's so good. Take me back into a little bit more of the actual practice of adoration. It feels like there's this debate going on against you and against God from the moment you wake up and then it just kind of never ends. So 24 seven, there's this.
1: That's such a good way to put it. That's uh, exactly right.
0: Well, I'm curious, you spent time creating, I'm calling it now the evidence list, but it's the 30 attributes of God that you tend to dwell on.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Why those? Why 30? What came first? What were easier ones?
1: Yeah, that's—I love that you call it the evidence of God. I might steal that. You know, I did a poll online, actually. Like, what are the characteristics of God you struggle to believe the most? And this was them. This was the 30 that came up the most. Mm. Which was interesting because I'm looking at what other people are saying, and I'm like, these are totally my list, too. It wasn't hard to write from this place because I had to wrestle with each one of these. So then it was kind of revelatory. Like, man, there's a whole lot of God I really wrestle to believe. Like, sometimes I just think, oh— I struggle to believe he's going to restore my kids, you know, because four of mine having really hard histories. Or I kind of have a, you know, list of like, these are the three or four things I really struggle to believe about God. But as I dove into this and really actually began to adore from this list, because I'm like, I can't write this book unless I actually like have my own experience with each of these characteristics of God. I was like, Mm. every single one of these, I struggle to believe on the regular.
0: Mm. Uh, 21 for you is... God who likes me. Really? That's that's difficult for you to believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's funny that you bring that up because I was just thinking yesterday, I feel like <laughs> that's the most important one. Like, I don't know how we landed on it being 21, but here I am, I wrote this book and I feel like even my other books have really talked a lot about God enjoying us. And yet at 42, I'm still going back around this mountain going, do you like me when I'm really screwing it up at home? Like, mm. When I feel like I can't tend to all my kids' needs? Do you like me when I am short with my husband and he needs me really to be like his biggest champion? Do you like me when I'm like kind of half committed to you, God? I mean, so this one, I would say I'm glad you picked it because I feel like it's the most important one maybe should have been one because Mm -hmm. really, if most of us are honest, like we think he likes us when we like us. And how often do I really like me? You know, not all that often.
0: It feels like this one for me, it's teasing out that God can drift into these empirical categories for us and away Mm -hmm. from the personal, where it's like empirically, yes, I know that he loves all of his creation and I fall into that category and therefore I am included. But that's horribly impersonal. And I can't adore something that isn't personal, that I don't know, that doesn't appeal to me.
1: Right. For me on a practical note, like, there's probably a dozen stories that would come to mind of like when I've really wrestled to believe he likes me. But I think of it like as a parent of seven kids, I'm inevitably failing one of them at all times. But I feel like even in this past year or two, my we've had a really challenging year as four of my bigs are really processing the pain of their stories. And my husband and I have like kind of fumbled through how to come alongside them because it doesn't feel supernatural to like parent trauma. And we failed a ton. And we failed even in ways that they've come to us and been like, mom, it really hurt me that you did this. And I'm like, oh, like you have so much pain in your life. And here I am, like the one who's brought in to help restore that. And I'm like failing you. You know, if I can like pause when I've like really failed and like system interrupt the series of lies that wants to parade across my mind and have his word inform who I am there through my adoration, that's when I get changed. But there's so many more like that. I mean, how many times, I think experts would say we've got like 40 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. How many of those are actually ones that are aligned with what God thinks about himself and about us?
0: The skeptic in me thinks we could count them on two hands.
1: Yeah, or less. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Your piece, I I love the honesty of, you have enough children that you're just guaranteed to be failing one of them at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, Having two, I feel like that's still the case. I remember my like trajectory as a young man, and I found myself cringing as it was completely evident that I was failing to carry more and more and more and more. And I mm. wanted to shrink down. And I actually began to have much more sympathy for people that choose to make their life about their model collection in the garage or their, yes. like, the rec soccer league. Like, I, when I was younger, <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, what is this guy doing? Like, come on. But now, I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of get it. Like, I could
1: rock the rec soccer
0: league. <laughs> oh, oh, man, if that was it, if, like, that was my whole story, like, oh. So I just love the honesty of it. It's so good. Actually, 20, and I know the order isn't really important, but...
1: Well, it is in a sense that there was a progression, like some of the bigger ones that are more at the surface that we could easily say like, okay, I've got chronic back Mm -hmm. pain. I have a really hard time believing that you can heal. We put that at the beginning something towards the end, more like the God of hope. Honestly, I feel like I'm 20 years into wrestling with God as the God of hope. And so of course I'm going to put it at the end of the book because I'm at the beginning of the beginning mm-hmm. of understanding.
0: Yeah, no, there um, is. It, it, so it feels like a progression a of progression. maturity. Like, okay, we're going to build the, the building blocks first. Yeah. And from there we can reach into the deeper waters. I'm curious about the one right before it, number 20, mm-hmm. God who gives a song in the night. And you begin with Psalm 42. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Talk to me about this one.
1: I mean, there's so many pieces of this that resonate with me. I think there is the very practical, like he does work in the night when we're not working. Just pause on that one for a second. When we are not actually producing He's giving a song practically in the night. But then there's just this kind of poetical understanding of night, which is our dark and hard seasons. And could it be that in the dark and the long and the times when it literally feels like we are pounding hard ground, it feels like life is fallow. Could it be, and I'm mixing metaphors here, I know, but could it be that like in those times, his word is true? If his word is true, He's imparting to me when I feel like my life is stagnant. Mm. It's crazy.
0: Oh, Jesus, let it be true.
1: And that's the thing with adoration. I mean, I feel like I am a hot mess of a person. I mean, I'm failing my kids pretty regularly because there's so many of them. (laughs) I, I am figuring out life and writing at the same time. So there's this mix of like creating in such a way that other people are experiencing your creative work and you're creating real time because that's how most creatives, which we all are, are doing. So that's kind of messy. You know, there's just, there's elements of pretty much every aspect of my life that feel messy, such that I am at a place where I'm like, Lord, at the end of all this, I want to come out knowing what's really true of you. I want to come out knowing that the landscape of my mind has been minute by minute, daily reclaimed by what's true. Mm.
0: Oh, that's so good. I feel like you should actually have a warning label on the cover because the concept and the invitation are both very kind and very warm. <laughs> wa- yes. Right. It feels warm. It feels, <laughs> it feels like it's going to be, I'm going to like who I am at the end of the decade if I do this, but the warning label would read, you're going to have to admit some things to yourself that you have been avoiding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that's what you got. Cause that's what it feels like. I mean, really the cover is Just that, a cover. I feel like on the inside, it's a lot of my own personal wrestle with avoiding my thought life, avoiding what's really fueled what I do, which is a lot of times brokenness and sin. And I just want to kind of keep reacting. This is, I feel like, a book or a message exposing your interior life to God, which. Any one of us who spends 10 minutes, not even that feels like huge, you know, three minutes examining our thought life can go, whoa, that would be pretty messy to expose all that before him and just talk about it.
0: Yeah. I think we intuit immediately like, oh, 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 okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I want to like be honest with God about those things, but this is a bit of a stepping into our own. It doesn't need to be trauma, but it's the same mess. Like you can't get to the good of adoring and having a restructured internal reaction to things. If you don't step through all of the ways that that has been malformed and broken and all of those pieces. So there's a little bit of me that's like, uh, mm-hmm. you guys, this is an adventure and it's good and it isn't easy, but it's both to me. Yeah. It's actually not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. For me, adoration isn't actually adoration. If we're not bringing the whole of ourselves, like the grit of our life, If I'm not coming with my real self, like the self that's literally like, well, I just snapped at Nate and I'm pretty mad at him because this thing isn't changing and I didn't respond well and I didn't respond well in front of my kids. So I'm going to take that moment and come to God and go, what's underneath it? just give me a minute, God, reveal to me what's underneath it. And then I'm going to bring that to his word. The Psalms do that. Like I think of Psalm 22, which is the one that Jesus quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, we watch this progression in David and it's like, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, you know, this deep wrestling. And at the end he's saying, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him. He's saying from you comes my praise in the great congregation. Like we see the progression of what God intends for us. He doesn't want us to not have that mess. I actually don't think we can have real intimacy with God if we're not paying attention and exposing all the things underneath our actions.
0: So good. So good. Okay. I, I want to take our listeners deeper before we kind of surface back to some practicalities and ways that people could begin practicing this. Something that you've touched on before in your writing, but God who turns the bitter into sweet. That's uh, the heavy and learned concept.
1: It's so heavy. And it's really, it's humbling because I wrote a book about this very thing. And 10 years later, I'm coming out of 2019 and it's probably been the hardest year of our lives. So it's really fresh. Like, I feel like what God has had me walk through in my own story in terms of uh, that He actually uses the deepest ache of our lives to bring us a greater hunger for Him. Now I'm walking through with my kids, four kids who've been through trauma you couldn't even imagine. You know, and I I don't mean to say you. There's actually probably... many people who could imagine it and who have walked through it. And I'm just reliving this. Like, do I really believe that every ounce of my pain is something that God's going to allow for me to meet with him? Mm. So I wrote this because I have wrestled through it once in my own life. And now I'm walking four kids through it saying to them what I know at this point, because of their pain, I can't just say I have to really believe. And so for me, I have a kid who says to me like, mom, What I went through is terrible. Can you even believe that God let this happen? Mm. And I have to go, I can't just say words to you. I have to get alone with God and with all my questions and with his word, really, because all my questions and the best thoughts that can, can come of it are not going to be the nexus. The nexus is all my questions and literally what he says in his word about himself. So that whole section is, man, does he really do what Proverbs 27, seven says and and make to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Is he really going to turn the absolute bitter into something deeply intimate because of the hunger that comes from him? Mm.
0: It's really good. And it's where I find myself dwelling a lot of the time. A couple of years ago, I had a personally really difficult year and a lot of loss, the worship song of choice for whatever reason for our community was, you can have it all, God. And I found myself sitting there listening to it. And I was so mad because I was like, no, he can't. He's been taking it, if he takes more from me, if he takes my family from me, like we're gonna have a serious problem. And I, and I laughed to keep the anger from the voice of like, that caused me to be aware of the things that have been going on in my own heart in that category. And I am already aware and already needing to begin doing this Because I hear you do it on behalf of your children, and it strikes me as being much more difficult to walk people you love through that lesson than learning it yourself. Is that the case?
1: I mean, ideally, as we grow in the Lord and our emotional integrity grows, you can't just give platitudes to the people in your life about God being good. Mm. I think of how many times have I shared something like super hard with a friend who's been like, you know, he's going to come through. And you're kind of like, oh, I feel like you definitely didn't hear me. I need you to sit in this pain with me. Mm -hmm. And I think in the same way with other people, we start to like hear the echo in our minds when we say that he's going to come through. And we're kind of like, I don't really believe that. You know, I have to wrestle this out with God if I'm going to walk through this with somebody else. Like I have to, just like you did in worship go, I cannot sing these words unless they're real, or I can, you know, there, there's different reasons for singing those words, but I mean, like, I got to get alone right. with God and his word and go, I don't believe this. And I want to work this through to a point where I actually can believe it if I'm going to support this person next to me or my kid or my spouse.
0: Yep. Yep. For me, it was, I couldn't sing it and was just getting mad at the room full of people who seemed to be able to sing it. And so, yes, it totally required me to step aside and begin asking why. It strikes me that you had a, an older friend who was able to see the criticism and cynicism in your voice. Have you gotten better at noticing those things in yourself now that you've been doing this kind of deeper excavating of what's going on under the surface?
1: I feel like one of the keys for adoration is paying attention. I almost would say like the first step in adoration is paying attention to yourself, which can sound kind of like weird and out there. But I mean, just why is my heart racing right now Mm. after I read that text? Why am I snapping at my kid right now? I definitely would say I've gotten a lot better at just noticing like, okay, I'm chewing on my fingernails or I am running to the fridge to grab something chocolate, like what is going on in my interior life that needs God that I'm trying to fix it with a response, or I'm just shoving it down and getting angry and reactive. So yeah, I would definitely say being surrounded by kids right now is a pretty great thing because I can almost always tell if I'm short with them, there's something on the inside of me that is really questioning God about some area of my life.
0: Mm. I want that. I want the ability to do that cycle more quickly before things get out of control or things get deeper rooted, able to like notice them real time. Sounds like a really hopeful yeah. thing to me. Yeah. So I promised that we'd pull them back up a little bit, not leave them in the deep, but for the guy that should pick up this book and read this book, and then you should, and so there you go. The guy who's sitting out listening going, oh man, okay, I could, I could really use this. What's the... What's the entry practice? What's the rhythm? What do I need to to structure right now in my car or right now after my shift? Like, what's the walk me through? Is this five minutes? Is this ten minutes? What verse I need? Like, give me the basic structure for beginning this.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, I think it can start with one minute, and I know that sounds small, but I feel like even one minute right now, when we fill so much of our time with distraction. Like in my mind, I like to see things in small increments. So I'm like, yeah, you've got a shift break and you have 15 minutes. What if you took one of those minutes to take a walk around? I mean, my husband does this, like he, when he's going to get his coffee at work, like going to the coffee maker, pouring his coffee, that's his moment. Like in this one minute, I first want to just pay attention to what's going on in my life right now. Cause I think a lot of times we're just so barreling. So it's like, okay, my heart's racing. I'm feeling anxious about a decision that's being made at work or finances or Maybe I'm just feeling bored and distracted. I've been surfing the internet instead of actually doing the work I need to do. So let me pay attention to that. And then in that moment, bringing that to God. I think the entry point is really, it's paying attention and then bringing whatever is being revealed to us or that we see about ourselves to God. And then the next step is having his word. And I think practically speaking, like for a period of time, it could be just on a note card that you take with you where you're gonna be that day. For me, I would like, if there was a particular aspect of God I was wrestling with, I remember for a season, I sort of had this ominous potential diagnosis in my life, and my health. And so I just wrote out verses of God as a healer And and I'm not to say, you know, I know we could go down a rabbit trail here about God always healing or anything like that. That's not really what I'm speaking to, but it did reveal that like, I kind of don't even know that I believe that he can heal my heart or my body. Right. So when I was taking that minute or two or three of adoration and I'm recognizing I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, I would open that moleskin and read that verse and say to God, be honest, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. I don't feel like that you have the ability to heal me. But your word says... Or, you know, translate it to something for one of my kids. In Psalm 137, if I'm anxious about one of my kids, your word says, and with him is plentiful redemption. So I say, I don't feel like you're going to restore this kid. I'm super afraid that this kid is not going to have restoration in their life. And they're always going to be living out of the trauma of their story. But your word says, with you is plentiful redemption. And I think there needs to be an honest reckoning where we're not just saying it back to God, trying to like do some Gregorian chant to get us to actually believe it. It's back and forth with me and God. It's not like I'm just like telling myself, I need to believe this. You know, if I say this 20 more times, I'll believe it. It's actually me going, I don't really believe this, but your word says this. And so with, you know, Psalm 130, verse 7, with him is plentiful redemption. God, your word says that you do redeem things and you redeem them plentifully. So I adore you as the God who with you is plentiful redemption. And it's that back and forth of my honesty and his word. I'm telling myself and God who he is directly from his word. And then the minute's up and I go back to life and it's like I've created, you know, to use a semi-scientific term, I've created a new neuro pathway in my brain where instead of just freaking out in that one minute, I actually interrupted the thoughts with
0: God's word. So I, I've been doing a Gregorian chant version of this. Have I actually been doing it wrong? Is that?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, joking.
0: I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking. We use three by five cards to write down verses or truths or even portions of a verse. And I, I think we have to kind of move past that it feels childish or it feels like, man, I I really feel like I should have memorized this verse or if it's in the Moleskin, like John Eldridge, who has the mind of like a vault where you can just pull files from forever on his mirror, he'll like have a three by five card with a truth written in him. It'll live there for like six months. And like that practice that you're naming of entry level, have like a particular thing that you might take with you through the day or it might live on your desk. Like that is actually very helpful. And if it's out there, it can be a little disruptive. Like you'll turn to it when you weren't meaning to, you'll just, your eyes will catch it and you're like, Oh, okay. This is something I need to dwell on for a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I think we are at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of understanding God. I think sometimes we get long enough in God that we stop realizing that. And that's our biggest hindrance because we don't want to do the simple things because they feel so childish. But the reality is like, I barely know him. I mean, that's a prayer I pray pretty often Mm. where I just say, I barely know you, God. I'm just going to say that out loud. I barely know you. And if I can continue to remember that I barely know you, then I can approach your word and go, it's okay that I don't believe this right now. I really need to wrestle through it because I'm a kid. And maybe next year I'll be six. Right now I'm five and it's okay to be five because you're going to grow me up to six one day.
0: Mm, That's good. And one day you'll be able to drive a car spiritually, but that's so (laughs) far away.
1: (laughs) Scary. I have a teenager who is driving right now. Lord. uh.
0: Sarah, before we land, is there a piece that you wanted to make sure was said or offered? I think this has been phenomenal and and spot on for our audience. Um, But before I I head towards the landing for this, I want to make sure if there was a piece that you wanted to include that that was included.
1: Well, you know, I loved what you guys talked about in terms of soul care, where you had your wives on. I'm in that same wrestle, even though I've been... Parenting for a lot longer. I'm in that like whoa. Used to have long stretches of time to really take care of my soul and to tend to my interior life. And now I have seven kids, and they're they're not. I say to my husband often, like I can't move these things off my plate. Like it's not like I can be like, well, baby girl, you're not going to get lunch today because mama needs to take care of her soul. Mm -hmm. Um, So one place where I just listened and felt like, wow, this is this is really real, and I have this same struggle. And how has God met me? I feel like adoration has been one of those micro practices that is not requiring four hours of my day that I used to once have when I could climb a mountain and really think about God, but is actually transforming a very full day that that might seem like it's kind of lost real estate. Mm-hmm. Adoration for me has really felt like when I when my capacity is full and I can't move things around on my schedule and I tend to be somebody who is really good at saying no. So when I get to full capacity, my first, my first thought is like, what have I said yes to that I shouldn't have, but there's not a whole lot that I say yes to that I shouldn't do. i just, I actually struggle with saying yes more than I do no. So when I get to that point, I feel like the uncharted real estate is in my mind mm. is that this free space in my mind that is happening all day long. And is really informing how stressed I feel, how tired I feel, how alive I feel. I mean, I'll just say for myself, it's uncharted, like 60,000 thoughts in a day. Like how many of those am I bringing to the Lord? Adoration feels like it is a level of soul care for those of us who don't have tons of windows in our life to move around, to have space man, I'm in a reality right now where I just don't have the luxury to go be alone for four hours. And if I do, it's at the expense of Nate. If he does, it's at the expense of me. We're both trying to tend to our souls. Adoration feels like it's a practice that is really helping me find those waters Mm. in the middle of a messy kitchen and a very full workload and kids with a lot of needs.
0: Mm. That's super helpful. Sarah, thank you for coming thank on. You. This has been a joy to get to hang out with you for a little bit.
1: I feel the same. I hope I get to meet you guys in person at some point. Yeah,
0: yeah. We'd love for that opportunity. <laughs> the book is a door, a simple practice for experiencing God in the middle minutes of your day. Sarah, thank you so much. And you guys go check it out. It does release on my birthday, so get it as a present to me to you.